Well, I am thrilled. Look at this gadget. Isn't this awesome? It pays to know people. Use Rodney. He's up closer tonight. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 1. And I uh, want to spend the next few nights here looking uh, from verse 3. Uh, and we'll see how far we get. But tonight, we're just going to look at verse 3 and probably verse 4 tomorrow and then probably verse 5 on Wednesday. And again, uh, what we kind of established is that um, Paul is writing this letter uh, from a prison cell and he's writing it more than likely to his protege, Timothy. But it's not to Timothy, it's to be read to the entire church but he probably bundles with it another letter and then ends up sending another letter. Uh, you know, first and second Timothy came at the same time of the writing this letter. And everything going on in this, in this letter to this church is not theory. He's not, he's not writing about, you know, theory stuff. Uh, this is all things that they're, they're demonstrating. They're seeing firsthand. And we have record of that throughout the New Testament. You can go back and look at... Um, you know, Acts chapter 19, and you can see the unfolding of this whole thing. Um, the first section of his letter from verse 3 all the way down through verse, uh, really verse, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> I was going to say 14, but it's pretty much at the end of the chapter is all about their identity. And so this is just who you are, who you and I are in Christ. And I want to look at the first part of this beginning at verse 3. And... Verse 3 is what scholars tell us is a Trinitarian passage. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with um, Trinitarian passages. I don't know if that's a term we kind of throw around at, you know, Starbucks when we're hanging out with folk. But um, a Trinitarian passage is referencing in the New Testament a passage that is dealing with every single member of our Godhead. Uh, Jesus shows up and lives this you know, messianic life for all to see, and everybody is just astounded. And we learn from him that God is one God, but he is in three persons. And he talks about his father who sent him, and when he's about to leave this earth and return to the father, he said there's going to be another that's going to come, which is the Holy Spirit. And so we know the New Testament talks about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is our one God in three persons. Now, I can't go into all those details about that tonight, but uh, next Sunday, Rod said he's going to clean up every question you have on the Trinity in detail. Okay, so he's going to have a comprehensive, uh, I think that's what he said. <laughs> okay, so this is one of those Trinitarian passages, meaning that in verse 3, every member of our Godhead is mentioned, and it is in this passage in particular, it, Paul goes into detail how all three members of our Godhead participate in our redemption. Now, we get, Jesus gets a lot of you know, fanfare. He gets a lot of attention. I mean, he came here. He lived among us. You know, we know what he looks like. He's that you know, white guy uh, you know, with blonde hair. It's a white joke. Um, so we know who Jesus is. Um, but really... The Father is just as invested, honestly, as the Holy Spirit is, okay? 
And so this is what's covered in this passage. There's Trinitarian passages all over the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says, listen, I want you to baptize coming disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're all, we're all involved in your redemption. Jesus could not pull this off by himself. And so each member of the Godhead has a, has a participation. And just for homework, if you'd like to have some homework, you'd like to have homework, right? Praise the Lord. All the teens are like, no. Okay? But you can go and read Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and you have, in my opinion, okay, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation give us a, a more detailed explanation and picture of the inner workings of the Trinity than any other passage in the Scripture. This is just incredible. You have the God the Father there and the Holy Spirit that's surrounding this throne, and Jesus comes up to the throne and the whole unworking of that deal. It's really beautiful. But we're going to be this evening in verse 3, we're going to look at each each member and their role of redemption in our life. Let me read it for you, and let's, let's just identify as we read this, each member of the Godhead. Verse 3, I have the NIV, 84, this is how it reads. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God the Father is really easy to identify. He's the first one mentioned. He says, praise be to God and the God and Father of Jesus. So we have the Father and Jesus in the first opening statement. Okay? Immediately in verse 3. Then he says, Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ? Now, the Holy Spirit, oftentimes, this is so consistent, but especially in this verse, he's kind of tucked away and hidden. The Holy Spirit is the every spiritual blessing in Christ. And, and we'll get to this. But all of the blessings that the Father gives are tucked away in the nature of the Holy Spirit. In fact, properly speaking, the Holy Spirit is the blessings of the Father. And the phrase, every spiritual blessing, you guys have had Rob McCorkle here. I think you guys have had Rob here, right? No, wait, you're going to love Rob. They're not enthusiastic. You will be enthusiastic. This guy, is, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. But he gets into this Greek term you know, extensively, uh, it's the Greek word uh, pneumaticus. And pneumaticus is a reference oftentimes in the New Testament to the person of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not there, it's the term spiritual, which is a reference of the Holy Spirit. Okay, pneumaticus. By the way, um, in Ephesians, if you just want to flip over there in your Bibles to chapter 6, last night, we looked at verse 12. And at the end of verse 12, when Paul's describing how we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against all of these spiritual things in the heavenly realms, he says at the end, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That word spiritual forces is the same word that's used regarding the Holy Spirit in verse 3. And you say, well, spiritual forces, is it's actually referring to spirit beings. Absolutely. That's how that word functions. So if you go back to our passage in verse 3, when he says, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings, the spiritual is actually a person. And so in my translation, I just correct it and translate it with every one of the Holy Spirit's blessings. Fair enough? Okay. So all three members of the Godhead are mentioned in this verse. Now, the first one we want to look at is the Father. And this is going to be easy tonight. It's not going to be three hours. Okay. Not even close. Okay. Um, 
It will take some time to get through this, but it's so good. It's so good. Let's look at the, let's look at the Father, and then we'll look at the, uh, the Son, and then we'll look at the Holy Spirit. They're all mentioned, okay? So we're going to look at the Father and how He has participated in our redemption. Now, in order to do this, in my translation, we're going to have to make some corrections, okay? Uh, the NIV reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And probably we should tack on who has blessed us. Okay? Now, the NIV reads in this first, this first phrase, praise be. It's almost like a declaration. But when you get into the original language, what you find out is that term praise be, okay? The word praise in particular, it's actually the same Greek word translated blessed already in our passage. In fact, if you have the, anybody with a show of hands, anybody have the New King James or the King James or the NASB, several of you do, you'll notice your translation reads, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And that's closer, but it's not altogether, you know, altogether completely accurate. First off, in, in the New King James and the NASB, ESV, several others, what you're going to find is with that word be, you have the NASB, don't you, Karen? The word be there is in italics. And you say, why is that word in italics? Because it's not there in the original language. We put it there to help us read, which it shouldn't be there because we don't need any help reading it because it confuses things. So it should just read, blessed to the God, which is a little bit wordy, but it would make more sense if you looked at that word that, that is translated blessed, it doesn't function as a declaration. It's actually labeled as an adjective in the original language. Now, that was very difficult. I hope you're impressed by that. Okay? But here's why I've told you all of this. Is that how this should read is not like blessed be or praise be, but it's blessed as an adjective describing God the Father. So you should translate this sentence, the blessed God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. Adjectives of God the Father in Scripture, and God in particular, are always a little dicey. Because God, you can't name God. The moment you name God, you're almost like pigeonholing Him, and then that becomes an idol. Okay? So Moses comes to him. No, he didn't. God came to Moses, lured him in with this special light show coming from a bush. And he's like, go to my people, that whole, un that whole thing unfolds. And Moses says, hey, not a problem, I'll do it. You know, what's your name? I mean, you, you know, who do I say sent me? And God's like, yeah, wow, I don't know. <laughs> Moses is like, how could you not know your name? God's like, I am who I am. Tell them I am who I am sent you. Moses is like, yeah, got that one. Because in the old covenant, the moment we label him, he's bigger. Dude, he's, he's, he's indefinable. In fact, uh, there's an old-time theologian, and I forgot his name. I thought it was Perkheiser, but I don't think it's Perkheiser. But there's an old-time Nazarene theologian, like back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when the Nazarene church was being established, one of the beginning theologians for our movement, um, wrote in a theology book, one of his works, he said, we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to spend eternity getting to know God and never fully knowing him. that's how big he is 
That's how big he is. That's like looking up at the clouds and telling them, it's a puffy thing. It's a little bit deeper than a puffy thing. Okay? And so adjectives are really, really difficult in naming God in the Old Testament. You, and we won't go into all that because there's so much in the Old Testament about you know, removing vowels from words. You can't actually say the name and all of this. But in, in, when you come into the New Testament, there's some creative ways that the Holy Spirit, even Jesus, talks about how we refer to God. And God the Father in this, in this passage, He's the blessed one. And how that relates to us, think about this. How, how does the blessed God and Father, how has He invested in us in our redemption? Well, this first verse says, are you with me? This blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. So how God the Father has invested in our redemption, God takes the adjective that describes himself and says, I want it to describe you. Now, if you go back to the beginning, okay, you go back to, to Genesis, you get this picture, and of course, it's elaborated on all over the place, but I, I love it in Genesis where God makes man in his own image. That's expounded on a little bit. We talked about it today in staff meeting in Luke, at the end of Luke chapter 3, where Adam is referred to as a son of God. You go down through this genealogy and talks, you know, it comes all the way down in Seth and then it comes to Adam. And it says, Adam was the son of God. And I scratched my head and I was like, wow, Adam was a son of God? Apparently, written right there, the end of Luke chapter 3, you say, wow, so Adam's a son of God, just like Jesus is the son of God. You'd say, yes, absolutely, kind of, okay? Yes, Adam is a son of God, and yes, Jesus is a son of God, but the scriptures tell us Jesus is the only begotten son of God. You're like, what does that mean? He's unique. Well, how is he unique? Jesus is the only one who can go back to his birth and say, I literally come from the Father's DNA, so the father took who he was and imputed that and put that inside of the woman, the womb of a woman named Mary. It took on flesh and nine months later, Jesus came flying out. However, that worked out. So Jesus came out and he was the DNA of God on display. He can go back to his birth and by right, legally say God's my father. Adam could not say that. You and I cannot say that. You say, then why does God call us sons and daughters of God? Because we were created when God in the beginning thought of humanity. God said, he, in fact, probably in my opinion, this is how it went down. One day God gets up in the morning and he looks over at his son Jesus and he says, oh, you're wonderful. Man, I love you. In fact, I love you so much, I want more of you. And he made us. And what it means to be sons and daughters of God, you and I were created to have the relationship with the Father that Jesus has with the Father. Amen. I thought you'd be more impressed with that. So literally, get this, how God, it, it just, how God relates to Himself within the Trinity, He created you to relate with Him in that same way. That's the design. All of his nature. Like what erupts in him in terms of goodness and beauty. You were created for that. Satan's jealous. That's what we looked at last night. Satan's jealous of that. You and I were the only ones ever to be created in the image of God. 
Ever. We got in this argument one time when I was in college just a couple years ago. And one of the professors, when I was, when I was in college, this was a big deal. He actually got fired from it. It was a big deal in the Church of the Nazarene. He had went on, I think it was like Larry King Live or something like that. And he, had, he had been writing this book. He was dealing with this, you know, this, this whole deal with evolution. And it was a science book. And he was making the proposal that he was making the proposal that there was this certain strain of apes that their DNA was closer to our DNA than any of its relatives. And it, it was, it, he didn't come out and say it, I don't think he meant it, but it was misconstrued as the idea that evolution is not that impossible. And the church went bananas. <laughs> Time that like killed it, all right? Yeah, the church went crazy on that, you know? And we were talking about it one day in theology class. And they're like, you know, what do you think about it? You know, and we were all talking, gave our opinion. And, and it came to me and I was like, it doesn't bother me at all. Apes were not created in the image of God. Seriously, I don't care how similar. And, and when it comes down to it, you and I have all looked at people in the past and thought, yeah, I can, I can see where they get it, Okay. But the scriptures tell us that no animal, no animal. See, lions were not created to be king of the jungle. Just if you only knew who you were, I just, all joking aside, if you only knew who you were, you were so unique. Seriously, I believe we settle. I believe we settle for less. We walk around and we don't live with the authority that we have. Isn't that phenomenal? That's so true. In the beginning, God said, I'm creating mankind. In fact, you have, this whole, you have this whole creation scenario. And if you ever go back and study this, it's remarkable. We talked about this a little bit last night, but in the beginning is the beginning of mankind and everything physical. Genesis chapter 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. Well, there's all kinds of things that were going on before the physical came into existence. Like no one had ever seen physical before. It was all spiritual. Well, one day, the impression is, the role, because each, and you'll see this if you go into Revelation 4 and 5 and a couple other places, but God the Father is the one who's on the throne. He's like the visionary. He's the, he's the one that, it would appear, he's the one that's relegated to saying this. And then the Son has a role in that, and the Holy Spirit has a role in that. You know? And so that's a little bit, again, Roddy's going to kill this next summer, or next summer, next Sunday. Maybe next summer, okay? He's going to kill this here in, in the future, but... So, but the father has a unique role in terms of this vision. So you, you get this idea that the father gets up one day and he announces to the heavenly realms, he says, man, I'm going to create the physical. And everybody's like, yeah, what's the physical? You might know what physical is. God was like, yeah, let there be. And this whole physical world just appears over here. People are like, dude, that's crazy. You can touch it. <laughs> They're spiritual, so they can't touch it. But it's physical. And God, on the last day of creation, verse, you know, uh, verse 6, when you go, before you go into, or uh, day 6, before you go into, into day 7, God creates mankind there, and he creates us unique from anything that's ever been created. Angels themselves are not created in the image of God. They're not created like you and I are. They do not have the capacity for relationship that we have. We are seated, this is bizarre, sounding, 
not bizarre, it's bizarre sounding to some of us, we're seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. That's within the Godhead. Angels don't sit there. You ever read the book of Jude? It's like one page. It's not even a book. It's a footnote. You ever read that? Jude's like, I'm getting one in there. But the book of Jude is like this really small. Do you know that in the coming kingdom, we're going to sit and give pronounced judgments over angels? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I don't think I'm qualified. Just seriously. Yeah, Rodney, Karen, definitely. Okay, Jeremiah, probably not. But literally, the expectation, the destiny, how far we fell. God says, I have a plan for humanity. He looks at Jesus, who is the Son, and you have been adopted into sonship. He created you to have the relationship with himself that Jesus had with himself. And God said, what I want for humanity is I want all the aspects of who I am, all the aspects of who he is, he created that we could have those same aspects. So language that's used to describe the Father is also used to describe us. That's Jesus' whole terminology. Um, if you have your Bibles, just really quickly, we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, which I always do. But in John, go to John chapter 13 and, and, and look at the last few verses of chapter 12. And we're not going to read this whole thing. Yeah, yeah we are. We're going to read verses 44 down through verse 50. And I want to just highlight, we won't read all of it, but I'm going to read just a couple, couple verses out of this little section in verse 44, Jesus cries out, listen to this. When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. You're like, I wonder what that means. Well, it's not like, oh, God, the Father looks, that's not what he's getting at. Did you know in communication, like most of the communication you give is not with your mouth? My daughter is like phenomenal at this. She, she, she communicates volumes with just the roll of her eyes. <laughs> it's like a gift. I think she gets it from my wife. But in terms of communication, body language, that's the, what he's referencing here. Jesus says, when you look at me, you see him. It's the very nature of, see when Jesus spoke, he wasn't just, it just wasn't like the, the, his words were anointed. It's the expressions on his face and his posture. All of that was anointed. That's why you can't fake excitement. Oh, I'm thrilled. You look thrilled. No, you look thrilled. No, I'm not angry. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm betting you that you are. Because you're communicating. This is what he's talking about here in verse 45. When a man looks at me, dude, he sees him. It's the very essence of who I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He tells the disciples again in chapter 14. Go down a few verses. And he comes into verse 49. And he's talking about when he speaks. For I did not speak on my own accord or of my own accord. But the Father who sent me, listen to this, commanded me not only what to say, but how to say it. So Jesus didn't just speak. He not only spoke the words of God, and God not only told him what to say, 
but the tone of his voice as well. That's ridiculous. I know that his commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is exactly what the Father told me to say. So what, what, what God is saying and what was, was demonstrated in Jesus is God says, listen, I want, I want every adjective that describes me to describe you. You are, you are literally called, hear this, you are literally called to demonstrate what he looks like in our world. That's ridiculous. We're supposed to be salt and light. You're supposed to make people thirsty. You're literally supposed to make people say, I want what they have. I want to drive like they drive. <laughs> we'll have an altar call. Just wait. Give, 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 me, give me a bit. Isn't, this, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That's, so the, the, first, the first person in our Godhead, the Father, it's, 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 he's presented. How does he minister to us? God says, listen, I want everything that resides in me, all of my goodness, the overwhelming joy, the peace, the confidence, the authority, the bliss. I want all of that to be yours. And remember, it was every single blessing. We looked at this last night. It's probably worthy to say it again, that there's two adjectives that are used, all and every, okay? Well, he uses every. And what's the difference between all and every? Well, it's still all, but every highlights the every bit of the all. It's one thing to say you have all the blessings. It's another thing to say you have every single blessing there is to have. It's an emphatic. So, first one's done. We're a third way there. This blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. He's taken the adjective that describes Him and He wants it described. We were created in His image and in His likeness. Now, the second person, the person of our Trinity is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who came and actually made that happen. So God gets up again. He dazzles the whole angelic community. And he, you know, he comes out one morning and he just got a little skip in his stride and everybody's like, what's up with God? God's like, dude, new day today. I'm creating the physical. People's like, yes! What's the physical? He's <laughs> like, I don't even think that's a word. And God said, check this out. And he spoke and the physical became. And God said, it's my dream that everything going on in the physical would be exactly what's going on in the spiritual. That literally all the nature and goodness and we're called to pray like this. Our Father who is there, let who you are come here. Let your kingdom come. That's, what we're, that's why we're here. Adam was created and Eve, they were created to be the conduits. Apes weren't the conduit. Angels weren't the conduit. We were created to be the conduit by all of who he is is spread out into our world. And Jesus is like, dude, you are like the man, dad. In fact, I'm going to make that happen. And for 4,000 years during an old covenant, Jesus, the word, came and spoke about what God was doing, reminding mankind, instructing mankind. And then right at the turn of the year zero, Jesus entered into the womb. The Word, second person of the Trinity, entered into the womb of a woman named Mary and took on one of our bodies and came out and said, let me show you what it looks like. And Jesus was the demonstration 
of every desire that the Father has. In fact, when Jesus comes, he just says, listen, I don't have anything to say. The only thing I want to tell you is what he's saying. Why? Because that's the whole father-son gig. There's, um, this is huge. There's a, there's a trend, and it used to just be theologically, that we serve a covenant-keeping God, which we do, and you sign this covenant, and there's physical and spiritual ramifications of the covenant, and you're good. And as long as you sign the covenant, and you sign the dotted line, and you believe by faith, you're saved. But that ends up being morphed into, and it wasn't like that from the beginning, but it ends up morphing into, well, I don't look like him, but I signed the covenant, and his grace is sufficient to me, and I don't have to look like him. I don't have to sound like him. In fact, all the adjectives, his plan, all the adjectives that describe him, they really don't have to describe me. And that's not biblical. That's not biblical. And so we end up settling for less. And as children of God, oftentimes we don't look any different than they look out there. We just, don't, we just won't burn forever in hell. <laughs> that's our tagline. Don't you see that? I see it on the signs. Don't burn. Go to church. Praise the Lord. Easter and Christmas. I make it. Stamp my deal and go home. I have a hard time finding that there. Jesus came and said, you know the stuff I'm doing, you're going to do. <laughs> the life I lived, you're going to live. You're going to do greater things than these. You think this is impressive? Peter, you're going to shock them all. They're going to look at Peter and say, seriously, that's Peter. He used to be Simon. Dude, he walks by people. There's his shadow. People get healed. It's like, I've, heard, I've stole this from Rob, but it's like, Jesus took the disciples and pushed them up, and his, his ceiling was their floor. Isn't that phenomenal? That's the whole servant aspect of the kingdom. You'll do greater things than these. So, lit, lit, I mean, this is not hard to buy. We settle for less. This blessing idea, by the way, Jesus not only talked about this, but this, and again, it's so hard when when you have to understand Jesus has been around from the beginning. He's the Word from the beginning. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word, that was Jesus. So he's been communicating all along. This whole blessing of the Father that he wants to have on us, the, the, this, this adjective of blessedness that describe him is to describe us, this was a, always a hot commodity throughout Scripture. It's a huge deal in the New Testament, but it was also in the Old Testament. In fact, it was so much of a hot commodity, it confused me. When I first and this was for a long time, I struggled over, I really struggled, I couldn't wrap my mind around the whole Isaac, Jacob, and Esau debacle. And I think you probably know about this story, kids, you'll love it. Eight, you know, Isaac uh, and his wife, Sarah, Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Rebecca that's what I said. I drew a blank. I'm like, Darlene, that's not it, okay? <laughs> Isaac and Rebecca, dude, I was, I was way off, you know? So Isaac and his wife, okay, they punch out a couple kids at the same time, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob is just a little problem from the beginning. Now, I, you know, Esau is no picnic either, but Esau is kind of favored. Scriptures tell us he's favored by his dad, and, and, and Jacob is favored by his mom. So Jacob's kind of a mama's boy. You know, Esau's big, 
you know, muscular, you know, like a lot of you, Harry. And, uh, you know, just, he's a, he's a man of the field. He's a hunter, you know, kind of hunter guy out there. Jacob's in doing like, you know, needling and crocheting, whatever that is. And so Isaac comes to the end of his life. And honestly, even in the text, we, met, we, we you, it doesn't take a lot of imagination, but the grammar, even in the text of Isaac, that dude is over the hill. Like he is like... He's beyond one foot in the grave. He's got one foot, an ankle, and probably a wrist. This guy is quickly going down. And so he tells Esau, he does, he tells Esau, listen, I'm going to die like any minute. So what I want before I die, I want a hamburger. You know how to make it. (laughs) This is a hysterical story. So Esau's like, dude, hey, got it. Going to go do it. I know how you do it. Well, mom, mom has got her ear pressed to the door, and she's listening to all of this. And so she runs in and tells Jacob, listen, dad's dying. He wants a hamburger. And he's going to give Esau the blessing. And so I've got his favorite hamburger. I happened to make it. I was going to surprise him tonight. I made his hamburger. I want you to take it into him and tell him you're Esau and you'll get the blessing. And Jacob's like, that's never going to look. I'm a little, that's not, never going to work. I'm a little pipsqueak. I, I'm not hairy at all. And she's like, no, no, no. We're going to strap dead animal skin on your body. Duh. Which is hysterical because it actually fools Isaac. That's how far gone that dude was. Didn't even pick up on it. So, long story short, you can go read all the details. It, I make it sound better, okay, probably. <laughs> Maybe. To kids, probably. So, Jacob ends up going in and he ends up getting the blessing. And Esau comes back and he, all he's left with are the curses, okay? And Esau is not happy. And so he's going to kill Jacob. And so mom comes and says, leave. And it, 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 boggles, it boggled my mind for a long time because Jacob was after the blessing and then he's rushed out and his life is like, dude, he didn't get the house. He didn't get the land. He didn't get the servants. He didn't get the money. He didn't get the four-wheelers. Come on, he didn't get the cabin. He didn't get anything. He got the blessing. I'm like, dude. And that's the truth. He didn't get any of that. Well, what was the big deal about the blessing? Favor of God. God says, I've got a plan to redeem an entire world, and I want to wrap my arm around you and pull you close, and I want you to be a part of it. That's who you are. I wonder if we get that. God, I want you to just, man, would you just oh, win Huntsville? God's like, yeah, waiting. Waiting. Well, I've been praying. <laughs> you know, you can pray for a sandwich to appear in your hand. It probably won't. Unless someone makes it. And we've got this, and, and I, got, I got just absolutely crushed on this on Facebook. People's like, oh, that's some type of a fancy theological term. And I, I know that if I'd have went to college. But I, I don't, I mean, Jesus literally gives this parable of a master who leaves and goes on a journey and puts his entire estate in the hands of his servants. And they exercise all the authority. And he comes back and they're killing everybody. And they're punished. That's, that's who you and I are. 
You and I were literally, you and I are literally brought in and participate in what he's doing in our world. God not only reveals it, all the adjectives that describe him or to describe you, he's dwelling inside of you, opening your eyes so you can see the way he's, he sees, but he literally wants to include you. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was going around and he was a part of, that's what we read. Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, I only do what the Father does. So his whole life, get this, Jesus' whole life was marked by God's agenda, God's timing, God's plan. Wouldn't it be phenomenal? I'm just incredible if we would walk into Walmart that way. That I walk into Walmart, hey, I'm going over to the food aisle, the healthy section, and I've got to pick up a few things. But man, if, if, you, if you need something done, if you've got this dream and I'm available, I would love to be included. Uh, pastor said it best today in staff meeting. The motivation behind the ministry of the staff of this church is that the, it's not about growing numbers. It's about the people of this community knowing him the way you know him. Amen. I just want, dude, people are so miserable. I was on my way here, and I'm, I'm getting ready to turn this corner, and there's these two guys walking across the street, and they are walking like so slow. They're like, they're just staring at all the cars. And this guy next to me, I was like, dude, he's going to run over him. I got out my phone. I'm going to be a witness. You know, I'm going to club my eyes, try to hit the whole thing. It was terrible. And then he cuts over and he like honks and the other guy turns and yells. And I was just like, I just I was like, hey. <laughs> that's, you know, they go home and that's, they, they, that's, that's going on in their marriage. Yeah, that's what's going on in the relationship with like their neighbors. Wouldn't it be fun to live like that? Uh, no, it wouldn't. It's not just about, they need to get their life right. <sighs> That's not much better. I would love for you to have what's going on inside of him to go on inside of you. It's possible. Yes. Really? Yeah, just walk, just live around me. Really quick illustration here. I was in um, Texas this summer. This is a true story. So I was in Texas this summer, and this girl, I'll make it quick. I was in Texas this summer, and this girl had come um, with a friend of hers and the mom wanted to come. It was a camp meeting. And she wanted to come, but the, the, her daughter was like, I ain't going, just a bunch of old people. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And there was a bunch of old people there, just a couple of us young guys. So, but she came. She's 17. She said, I'll come under one, on one condition. I get to bring a friend. Because it was actually a cool campground. There's a pool, and it's all this cool stuff, and canoeing, and everything, trails. And so she came with her friend. Well, one night, the friend who was a friend of hers from school, had no Christian background, didn't know who Abraham was, knew nothing. She, come, she comes up, and she didn't come to the altar, but she sits in the front, and she's, I'm praying with everybody. And right before I leave, she stands up, and she's just wanting my attention. And she's trembling. And uh, I came up to her, and I said, are you okay? And she goes, can I talk to you? And she's real fidgety, and she pulls up her sleeve, and I can see where she's been cutting. So self-harm. So she's got some... She's got some uh, self-hate. She's got some, you know, some not good things going on with her. So I grabbed this other lady, and uh, it's actually Amanda Pettit, and we sit down together, and we're talking with her, and it's going round and round, and Amanda, Amanda keeps saying, you know, you give your life to Jesus. And this girl's like, dude, I ain't trusting anybody. And she's bringing up all these valid questions, and why would God let this happen to me, and things that, you know, make sense, and she's going through that whole thing. And I just hear the Lord very specifically in that situation. He's like, just introduce me to her. And I was like, what? Just introduce me to her. 
And I'm like, what if you don't show up? I'm going to look like an idiot. And then I didn't hear anything. And so I just looked at her and I said, listen, no commitment. Would you like to meet him? She was like, what? I was like, I don't know. That's what I heard. I actually looked at her and she, I said, yeah, you want to meet him? And she literally looked up in the air and then she looked back to me and she goes, okay. Because I was like, no commitment. Not saying, you know, there's not, this ain't even a date. This is coffee. I said, do you want to meet him? She said, yeah. Took her hands and Amanda, actually Amanda took one hand, I took the other hand and began to pray with her and I just, I just prayed that what happened to me in 1995 at the Billy Graham crusade would happen to her. And I said, Holy Spirit, reveal your presence to this girl. And his presence just came. And I just prayed a really quick prayer. It didn't sound too incredible. And when I said amen and opened my eyes, she had this little smile on her face. And I said, do you feel that? And she goes, I said, how would you like to have that feeling replaced inside of you, the feeling that there, that's there right now that you live with all the time? And I'm telling you, she looked at me and she goes, yes. I said, because that feeling is a person. It's a person. He doesn't give you feelings. He's a person. And she received the person who came into her life. And for the other two days that she was there, she was a different girl. Amen. She was running around looking at me going, hey. She was swimming. Completely transformed by a person. All right. The last one, which goes really quickly, which is my favorite, is the Holy Spirit. So the Father wants everything that describes God in the totality of the bliss of who He is. He wants that to describe us. Jesus came and said, this is what you're going to look like. Everyone. This is not just for the spiritually elite. Well, that's easy for you to say. You don't know how I grew up. Uh, you probably don't know how I grew up. Seriously, the passage is not, listen, you will be saved and redeemed from your sins unless you've been abused. Well, then you're just toast. Unless you've been adopted. Unless you live on those sides of the tracks. That's, none of that's true. He will save His people from sin and all the entrappings of it. And then Jesus said, what's going on in the passage, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Now, what we're actually blessed with, those blessings, those characteristics of the Father, James, or excuse me, Paul says, those are the Spirit's blessings. So you literally receive the favor of God, you receive the blessings of God, the anointing, all of that is from a person called the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, don't go far from Israel, hey, don't go, don't leave Jerusalem, Wait till the day of Pentecost because the Holy Spirit's going to come and everything that's been operating in me operates in Him. It's going to operate in you. So let's, you know, we can't go through all the passages on the Holy Spirit, but my favorite ones in Galatians, contrasted with the, with the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the sinful nature, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our Godhead, just nine specifics are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and... Okay, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not emotion. Love, the first one. Love is not an emotion. Love is a spirit. So when you love someone, you are tangibly, concretely 
legitimately wrapping them in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you literally can change. You can influence them. That's why the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And it doesn't have to look all spiritual. I mean, look at me. (laughs) Seriously. He uses me in my quirky attitude, in my quirky personality. When you love someone, I, I, I intentionally, when I'm responding to someone in those situations, like that, when that, that whole thing that happened on the way here, I just love people. Um, I was on my way, it's a true story, I was on my way to the training center um, some time ago, and Nashville area is exploding, everybody, there's like Oregon, California, plates everywhere, everybody's leaving all these states and moving to Nashville because it's like the greatest place to be, Apparently. And so literally, population is exploding. I mean, stores and roads, it's, the traffic is horrendous. And so I'm getting on and I'm heading into the training center one morning. And I'm going to be on time, but it was, it was a backup. I mean, there's just all this traffic. And so I, I grab my phone, I'm texting because I'm responsible. And uh, I'm letting Leland know that I'm going to be about five minutes late. And in the middle of texting, I'm looking up, you know, paying attention. I hear this honk, and I look over, and I'm half in this other lane, and this one guy, you know, he swore, he is, he is mad, like he's really mad, he's screaming, man, there was spit hitting the window, you know, he's telling me I'm number one, you know, all of that, and I did, I, I felt terrible, now, I, I didn't cause that, that was living in him, but I'd popped that bottle cap, and I was in the wrong and so we end up pulling and we end up stopping and we were like side by side. And he's like, Whoa! you know, and I'm just praying. And, and I just heard, I, honestly, I don't know how to say it other than I just heard, love him. And so I, I honked my horn and he just looks over at me and I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, Whoa! I was like, yeah, that worked. The Lord's like, do it again. I got this idea. So I honked my horn. And he looked at me, and I went. And he just stared at me. Got this little quirky smile on his face. And then he goes. And I honked it again. And he didn't look at me at first. He just kind of looked over, and I went. And then no matter what I did, he wouldn't look at me. He just stared straight ahead. But he had this smile on his face, right? That's the tangible Holy Spirit moving and it got into his vehicle. And I didn't, I don't, I don't know if it got inside of him, but I know it shaped him. And instead of going to work with that, oh, I mean, he probably went to work and was like, you guys would never believe what happened to me on the way to, and I was able to, wouldn't it be something if we don't respond the way the world does when we drive? If, if, we, if, if we just stop demanding the right to be treated right, and we just started loving people. Love. Love, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience. What if we showed patience? Patience is a person. Joy is not circumstance. We well, don't understand the day I've had. It doesn't matter. Paul writes from a Philippi jail. Rejoice! Dude, God's so good. Self-control. It's a person. I want you to control in my life what I'm unable to control. 
It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. God says, I desire everything that makes us who we are to make them who they are. Holy Spirit was like, dude, that's so cool. And Jesus gets a body. So he's like, I'm taking all the rest. Think it through. And he comes and lives in our body and takes those blessings and make them, makes them reality. <laughs> That's such a cool verse. All three members of the Godhead are involved in our redemption. God set it in motion and declared that he literally wants you to have everything he has. It'll change the way you walk and live. Seriously, I walk into Walmart sometimes and I'm like, dude, you know who I am? Dude, I've got it so good. And everybody looks at you like me. Like you're looking at me. Because I literally, that's his dream for me. Jesus came and made it happen. Jesus came and said, listen, lived, lived before us for three and a half years. And said, if you believe me, if you believe in me, I'll give you what I have. And so we come to him and say, I, I, I'd love to have what you have. And he takes your past, takes everything that you are, and gives you everything that he is. Your past, if the, and I think we talked about this last night in general, but if the enemy ever comes to you about your past, just say, you can go talk to Jesus. He's got it. You want my past? Go talk to him. He'll run the opposite way. Satan doesn't have access to your past. You don't have access to your past. Stop living in regret. In the name of Jesus, you're not allowed as a child. You're operating illegally. When you operate in regret and you try to identify yourself from where you've been and what you've been through, you are literally stealing from Jesus because that doesn't belong to you anymore, not if you're a child of God. Jesus took that and nailed it to a cross and gave you his past. And when you stand before the Father, it's like you've never sinned. Jesus says, I want everything that describes me to describe you. Jesus says, dude, love it, going in. Do you know what the Father wants to do? Takes who you are and gives you a total new identity. Yeah. And you're like, yes! And then the Spirit like, whoosh, splashes in your life and brings all of those blessings to reality. Would you just receive that? Tonight? Here's the beautiful thing of the gospel. All you have to do is believe. Um, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Come on up, Zach. I love Zach. I really do. Abraham believed. Listen, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. You're like, I would love, I'd love to have everything you said tonight. What is that? That's righteousness. How do I get that? Believe. James chapter 2. Abraham's used all over the New Testament. Hebrews, Paul mentions him in, in, in Romans chapter 4. It's, he's used all over the New Testament. Abraham was considered righteous. Get this. Did you know that Abraham was considered righteous before the law was even given? Before God was like, don't do this and don't do that. He was considered righteous. You're like, how was he righteous? God comes to Abraham and says, listen, I'm going to change an entire world. You in? I'll do this through your life. Abraham's like, dude, absolutely. That's what righteousness is. So you're sitting there tonight and saying, I wish that was true in my life. Receive it. That's all that it is. I believe. 
I believe everything you say about me. And I'm going to step out and live in it. I believe. I believe we don't see the things we want to see in this life because we just don't believe it. That happened? No way. Yeah, I know. I wish you'd believe. It would happen in your life. I was a druggie. I preached at my home church a couple years ago and my math teacher showed up on Sunday night. His name was Mr. Kirkland. And they'd put all these pictures around town. My face on it, preaching at the church. I saw him pull in. He had not aged. Got out, looked, he's one of those old farmers that like never age, they just one day go to heaven. Seriously, flat stomach. He comes walking up, and I was intimidated. And I was like, hi, Mr. Kirkland. And he looked at me, and he goes, Jeremiah. I said, thanks for coming. And he goes, I had to see this for myself. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. I was like, I'm a new creation, man. He came every night of revival. he just cry, come up afterwards and hug me. Would you, would you just, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dim the lights. It just makes it more private. I want to give you an opportunity. You don't have to. But I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And maybe you've been carrying some stuff around. You've been living with some stuff because, well, that's just how I am. That's just how our marriage is. You just don't settle for the lies. Seriously. We speak that stuff into existence. Oh, I'm never going to get over this. That's a lie. And you come into agreement with that stuff. See, what ends up happening is you're saved. Get it. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Get it. You're sanctified. Get it. But you end up coming into agreement. And I use that language because it's actually Old Covenant language. Two parties come into agreement. The enemy comes and lies. All a stronghold is, do the study yourself, all the stronghold is, find that word stronghold in the scripture, all a stronghold is, is a lie that you believe is true. It's all that it is. And when the enemy comes and lies to you and says, I'm dirty, I'm ugly, I'm dumb, I'm never going to be free, I'm never going to, I'm never, I'm all of that stuff. And you come into agreement with that, you let him be there. You, what you're really doing is saying, I, I agree with you. Well, how do, I, how do I get out of that? I come out of agreement. And you're going to know. I'm going to pray here for you in a second. This is going to be so good. I didn't anticipate this. I'm going to have you come out of agreement with the enemy. You're going to be like, I'm breaking up. I ain't dating with you anymore. You're not nice. I, I don't believe what you say about me. I don't like how you talk to me. I don't like what you say about my kids. I just don't agree with you. I don't agree with that. I believe what he says about me. I'm coming in agreement with you. No, 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 that's not true. I resist you. He'll flee. That's what you do. Yeah, I, just, I break up with you. 
I'm not believing that anymore. You don't have authority over me. Why? I'm seated in Christ. You're a butler, got fired. You should have come last night. He talked about you. You're not allowed. Let's, let's close our eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, come in your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Reveal in our life where we've come into agreement with the enemy. Doesn't mean we're not saved. Doesn't mean we're evil. Father, there may be some here who've, who've lived in rebellion and sin. That's a big time coming into agreement. That needs to be repented of. But Father, there's some here that suffered hurt, pain, abuse. And in that trauma, we have spoken things out of the flesh that we didn't mean to speak, that we shouldn't have spoke. It was emotion. It was the heat of the moment. And we came into agreement with a lie. We need to be set free from both. Probably most people in here has come down and repented and they don't live in rebellion. But if they believed a lie about themselves and carried that for 60 years, for 50 years. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just ask Him, say, Holy Spirit, please do this. And you're going to know when He's talking to you because you're going to feel heaviness in your chest. If someone comes to you and says, you're going to fall apart next week, do you know where it's going to be? And if you can say, absolutely right here, let's get rid of that. <laughs> let's get rid of that. Would you be willing to do that? This is so easy. So say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me. You don't have to say this part out loud. Holy Spirit, reveal to me where I believe the lie. Take me back. Take me back to the pain. Take me back to the hurt. Show me the place where I came into agreement in the name of Jesus. Show me where I came into agreement with a lie of the enemy. And then you're going to need to whisper this audible. You don't have to proclaim it to the world, but you need to whisper this audible. In the name of Jesus, I confess that I said that. I confess that I did that. I remember. I was wrong. I confess it. I may have been young. I may have been vulnerable. I may have been... I get it. But I confess that. And I also, Lord, come out of agreement with the enemy on that. I break that agreement. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't come into agreement with that lie. Just say that out loud. I don't come into agreement with that lie anymore. I come out of agreement. And Jesus, I come into agreement with you on how you feel about me. In fact, Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my days learning about how you see me. And I want to feel that way about myself. So I ask you to come into that area of my life, Jesus. You can just be kind of saying this in your own language. You need to say it out loud under your breath. So Jesus, I want you to come into my life and I want you to go right to that place where I believe that lie, where the enemy once had occupation in my mind, in my life. I confess fits of rage in the name of Jesus. 
You can confess that. I confess fits of rage. I confess jealousy in the name of Jesus. I confess pornography. I confess adultery in the name of Jesus. I confess lying in the name of Jesus. There may be others. Just confess that. I confess it. I come out of agreement. And then say, oppressing spirit, I have come out of agreement with you. And I'm in agreement with Jesus as a forgiven child of God. In the name of Jesus, let go of my life. And flee in the name of Jesus. And we command, in the name of Jesus, every oppressing spirit to let go, come out, and flee in the name of Jesus. Go. In the name of Jesus. Let go, come out, and flee in the name of Jesus. Father, would you bring healing and wholeness? Great book. It's more than just outward healing. You want to bring inward healing. Lord, we've lived with, we've lived with junk that we never should have lived with. I want to be the person that was described tonight in Ephesians chapter 1. Write that on the fleshly tablet of my heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Do something with me really quickly. You're going to need to tell someone. So let's start by this. Anybody confess anything? Anybody set free from anything? Raise your hands up. Look around. You don't have to go and tell all your dirty laundry. I love if that happened to you online. Call someone. Text the pastor. We want to be praying for you. Dude, that's so good. It's so easy. He's already paid for it all. You can be who he's called you to be. I would encourage you to get, to get the courage, not to go into detail, but sometime just testify about it somewhere in some way. Say, I was set free. And that's really what it was. I was set free the other night service. I, was set, I just came out of agreement with the enemy and I, we've had, we have stories over the last several weeks where we did this down in Lake Jackson and after the service I was bombarded by a whole group of people one guy came up to me and he said, I felt something come out of my stomach. I was like, really? He goes, something physically left me. And he goes, I'm free. Amen. He was like, oh. He was a young teenager. I was like, that's so good. There's a lady who came to the service the next night. She was at home, couldn't be at the service. She was set free in her living room. She got up and told her whole story. She had been abused by her grandpa when she was eight said she carried around for 40 some years she goes i danced all day in my kitchen she's i lost weight that's what she said it's online you can probably go look at it it was recorded live she's like i set free you just don't have to live with this stuff you can live free isn't that good i know right
Hey, Zach, let's, uh, let's, let's worship. Let's, let's sing a song and tell him how much we love him. And pastor's going to come and close us. If you want to come and pray or you need to do some business, hey, let's, let's, make, make, let's make room for that. Let's worship. Let's stand and worship.